Lord Jesus, would you speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit right now, that we hear your voice and that you change our lives and that we'd learn from your word in a way that affects the world around us. Help us, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Everett was trying to steal my phone while I was praying. Okay, guys, let me tell you what we're doing. If you, this is a Bible study. If you didn't bring your Bibles, then you're going to need to get one. So somebody can, who's got Bibles that we can pass out? If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Annika's going to get you one. Yes, it's helpful to have um, it on your phone, if nothing else. But I want to encourage you guys to get your own Bible and carry it around. We need to have a bring your Bible to school day or something like that because there's something powerful about having it in your hand. Okay, so let me tell you where we're at. We are studying the book of Acts, okay? We just sang a song. I think the lyrics of the song is, was, we sang, there is an army that is rising up. Is that what we sang? What other lyrics are in that song? Break every chain, break every chain. I think that, I don't, I'm sure there's more lyrics than that, but there is an army rising up in the book of Acts that we've been studying for the past year or so is an account, a historical account of this army that Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit, was rising up to be a change agent in this world. And you guys are part of it. So what we're doing here at the Cornerstone is I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, not because I couldn't get another job. Okay? I'm a pastor because this is the most important job of all. I'm recruiting people to join this army that's rising up to represent Jesus because Jesus paid with his blood for all. For all people on this planet. You ever, you ever paid for something you didn't get? Okay. Jesus paid for something that he, at this point, has not received the full benefit from. He paid for the people of UTA and Arlington and Texas and every person in the world with his blood. And we, as a community of people at the Cornerstone, are an army that's rising up to give him what he paid for. And so what we're doing on Thursday night when I'm teaching the Bible, I'm, we're not just talking about stuff that happened a long time ago. We're training. We're being trained from the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to think a different way than we would think otherwise, okay? So we're, tr we're actually trying to, th to change the way that you think. And some of your parents are mad at me because I've changed the way that some of you think. But that's what we're working on. I'm not satisfied with being here and talking about stuff unless you guys think differently because of it. So where we are is in Acts chapter 15. Now let me ask you guys, as, you, as you're turning there to Acts chapter 15, uh, what is the biggest issue that is written about in the New Testament? What was the big issue? Sin. Sin, okay, sin. Good, yeah, I mean, how do we measure this? So sin, what else? Circumcision, that's right. That's right. Okay, the biggest, the biggest issue in the church in Acts and through, the, through that, the period of the New Testament was this issue about what did it take to be saved. And what we, we, found, what we studied in the first part of Acts chapter 15 is that there was a group, primarily Jews from Jerusalem, who were saying, if, you want, if you're not a Jew... You can be saved, but you got to become Jewish to be saved. And that means you got to go through this special act of circumcision if you're a guy, and you got to follow all the stuff that goes along with it. So we talked about what it is that saves you a few weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about 
how this church in Antioch, remember Antioch is up in Turkey, and that was almost all Gentiles, a very multicultural church in the first, within 20 years after Jesus left. And that multicultural church, they weren't, they were, they were not Jewish at all. And so there's this cultural clash that's happening between the church in Antioch and the church in Jerusalem. And so what we studied last week in Acts 15 was that they were going to work this out. And so I just want to, because, because what we're talking about today really refers to what happened last week, I just want to run through just some quick notes. If you, didn't ta- if you weren't here last week or if you were here and you didn't take notes, let me just, I think we've got them up here, just um, some things that I want you guys to remember. And what we, basically what last week was about was about how the church handled this conflict and what we can learn from it. So this is just a real quick review from last week. First of all, you don't have to agree in order to have unity, okay? Is that too small? No. Oh, okay. So the first thing that we talked about last week is you guys don't, we don't have to agree to have unity in the body of Christ. The goal of the body of Jesus is to bring all things together in heaven and earth under one head in unity under Jesus. Okay, that's the goal. That's where we're headed, okay? But that doesn't mean that everybody agrees on everything, okay? We talked about that last week. We don't have to agree on everything in order to have unity. Instead, what unity means is that we are more committed to each other and to the common cause than we are to the thing that we we disagree about. Does that make sense? Okay, we talked about that. The second thing that we talked about last week is, when possible, let let just let it go. I mean, so she's a vegetarian and you're not. Who cares? Don't make her. Don't make a big deal about it. As much as possible, let these these disagreements be disagreements. Doesn't mean we can't have unity. We don't have to agree on everything. Okay. So whenever possible, let it go. Okay. The third thing that we talked about is there are times when, for the sake of unity, you need to debate. It's like, okay, we got we got. Yemi saying this, and we got Amanda saying this, and we got to we got to figure out what's the answer here. We got to solve this thing. Sorry, Yemi, I didn't mean to pick on you. Um, so there's times where we got to debate things, and we've got to work things out. Okay, and so we saw how this happened, and I just again this is review, and what we saw last week in this big major debate that was going on between the the Christians in Antioch and the Christians in Jerusalem was that first of all that not everybody needs to get involved. But there's trusted leaders that, that re- represent the people that can figure this out. And not everybody needs to pick up battle axes and start swinging at each other. Okay? So, also what we saw last week is that we saw the two sides in this, in this situation come together. Come together to really um, work things out. We also saw that the way that they worked it out was by looking at real life facts. The question about um, can Gentiles become Christians without being circumcised? They were saying, duh, yeah, it's already happened. And not only did they become believers, but they received the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Okay? Okay, and then what we talked about is that James stands up and he, he refers to the Scripture. So th- th- what we talked about in this how to, how to solve these debates is look at the Scripture. Look at the real facts that are going on here. Look at the Scripture. And then the last thing that we mentioned last week is... Let, so when, when church leadership in Jerusalem made that decision, the people, all the people in Antioch and all the people, all the Christians said, okay, we're going we're gonna to submit to the leadership even, even if we don't agree with it totally. Again, you don't have to agree with the leadership in order to bring unity. 
Okay. So that's where we ended last week. Now, I'm bringing that up because I had questions last week that were some legitimate questions I want to share with you. Just We're going we're to talk about a couple of questions that I had regarding this. One question was, um, some people asked, but is there ever a time in this idea of, of, of trust in church leadership to make decisions, is there ever a time that we should question authority? Whether that's church authority or government authority, or are we just supposed to be people that just always submit regardless of what the government says, regardless of what the professor says, regardless of what, the, what your boss at work says? Or are there times that we should question authority? Okay? So that's one, one of the things that, we, that I want to answer tonight. Another question is, when, when it, what happens if it's not clear who's in authority? If we've got a, a situation with Dylan and Will... I mean, who's supposed to, I mean, who's the authority? These are, these are two brothers. How do, so, so when I ask the question, how do we handle situations when, when there isn't an authoritative ruling on this situation? Okay, so first of all, you guys with me? You guys know where we're going here? Okay, so first of all, I want to answer the question, the first question, which is, are there times that we're supposed to, or that, it's allow, that we're allowed to question authority? And th that question is answered by this question, Okay. Here's the question that's going to help answer that question. Who is the authority that you are submitting to when you question delegated authorities? Does that, does that make sense? If, you, if you've got a sense of like, that's not right, and I need to stand up and say, no way, Mr. Professor or Mr. Steve or whatever it is. <laughs> Nobody ever called me Mr., right? <laughs> Okay, are there so when you stand up and question authority, whose authority are you submitting to? And the reason I'm, I'm asking you to think about this is because you're going to submit some authority. You guys remember when Jesus talked about that whoever you serve, you're a slave to that thing, whether you're a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin, okay? So you have to stand up and just say, I don't agree with that, and I'm not going to obey that. Well, you're submitting to some other level of authority, and I want you to think about what that is. Now, most of the time, the authorities, is this going out? Most of the time, the authorities that you guys are asked to submit to are authorities that are in line with God's authority. I mean, Texas law is, for the most part, for the most part, in line with, with God's authority. In fact, as you submit to Texas law, or you submit to your professor at UTA, or you submit to the rules at the Cornerstone, or your, 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 the rules at, at, at your office or your workplace, you're, you're submitting to those out of reverence, out of a, a submission to God, right? Okay? But there are times when those laws or rules at work or what the professor says or what your friends decide is the, you're supposed to do, where... That authority is contrary to God's authority, okay? It's contrary to your ultimate authority, which is Jesus. So anytime that, so in answer to the question of whether you're supposed to ever stand up against authority, it's, the answer is yes. Anytime that that authority causes you to, to not obey the authority that is your ultimate authority, that is Jesus. Jesus is your ultimate king. He is your ultimate authority. And, and there are times where you say, nope, not going to do that. That's the authority, that's authority that has been delegated, but out of my allegiance to the king, 
the ultimate authority, I'm going to say no. And you, when you do that, you prove to Jesus, and you prove to yourself, and you prove to all the f- people around you and to the world that Jesus is your king. And when you do that, there will be consequences. There will definitely be consequences. You likely lose your job. You might go to jail. You might be kicked out of your house. You might lose your friends. You might lose your popularity. But there's going to be consequences, but it'll be worth it because you got your priorities straight, and the Lord will reward you. Over the past 2,000 years, Christians have been excellent at this. And Christians have been known to have kind of a two-sided reputation. Because on the one hand, Christians, true followers of Christ, have been excellent at being obedient, submissive, non-complaining, compliant people to governments and slave masters and bosses and kings on the one hand. And at the same time, Christians have been known to be the most defiant, unbreakable, unshakable, unstoppable people in the world. Have you guys noticed this? And when it comes to the laws or the rules or the authority of people, and those things line up with Jesus as the king, the people of God get an A plus or should get an A plus in obedience. But when those things, that delegated authority demands When those things are contradictory to Jesus as the king, then the true people of God don't budge. And it drives authority crazy. And the people of God are hated. Have you guys noticed that? Okay. I want you guys to see a video clip of a man. Does anybody know who Richard Wormbrand is? Okay, this is, there's, there's, a, there's a movie that came out called Tortured for Christ, which is based on the true story of Richard Wurmbrand, his book. Um, he's held in prison for 14 years, and uh, I just thought, we just, we just need to see what this guy did and how he could have escaped this by just being quiet. So you can turn off those lights. I raised from childhood in atheism. I promised God that I would dedicate my life to these people, to give them back their personalities, and to give them faith in Christ. Beginning August 23, 1944, one million Russian troops entered my country. The communists took power, and then began a nightmare. Atheism became the official state religion. To proclaim Christ publicly became reason enough for arrest and torture. Spies were everywhere. 
church leaders had a choice. Either be enlisted in the service of the Soviets or go to jail. The communists skillfully seduced the church and the church leaders were easily deceived. They convened a congress of cults for all ministers, pastors and rabbis. Joseph Stalin was appointed as honorary patron. In the time that Romania is going towards progress, inevitable, we will adopt in this pantheon of personalities of history, on Darwin, on Nietzsche, on Hegel, and, of course, on Marx. The Congress was broadcast across the nation. The idea was to persuade the public of the communist intent to cooperate fully with the churches. My wife, Sabina, and I watched as religious leaders, one after another, took the podium and spoke words assuring the communists of the loyalty of the church. It is happening here just as it did in Russia. And our glorious new Romanian government is in favor of faith, any faith. They are even going to increase the pay of the clergy. Lenin defended the church until he came to power. Then tens of thousands of Christians die in concentration camps. This is madness. They are spitting in the face of Christ. Will, will you not wash this shit? You do know that if I speak now, you will have no husband. I don't need a coward for a husband. Scrie un bilet ca toți ceilalți și așteaptă rândul. Da. Sau aș putea să cobor acum. Îl cunoști pe omul ăsta? Da, Richard Wurmbrand, pastor luterar, foarte respectat. Wurmbrand, nu o să ne facă probleme, nu? Nu. Cred că susținerea unui reprezentant al Consiliului Mondial al Bisericilor ar ajuta. În continuare, îl vom asculta pe pastorul Richard Wurmbrand Luteran, reprezentând misiunea Bisericii Suedeze și Ordinul Mondial al Bisericilor. Dragi prieteni, ne-am adunat astăzi aici ca Sfânta Preoțimea lui Dumnezeu să preaslăvim numele Lui Hristos, nu partidul. 
Comunismul i-a transformat pe frații noștri în martiri. Cum ar putea fi lăudat? Datoria noastră nu este să susținem puterile lumii care din și pleacă. Datoria noastră este să preamărim numele lui Dumnezeu a tot Creatorul și a lui Hristos, Mântuitorul, care a murit pentru noi pe cruce. Iisus a fost retras. Iisus a fost bagiocurit de cei care înțeleg. Mai fă un miracol. Este salvat pe alții și nu te poți salva pe tine. Ajunge, ajunge. Miracolul a fost. Să iați microfonul. Că deși l-au văzut și l-au tinguit. Ajunge. Iisus e italat. Iisus e italat. Iisus e italat. Iisus e italat. Ajunge. Să iați microfonul. Churches had to deal with a new reality. Scott, are you going to turn it off? Okay, there we go. Okay, guys, I, I'm sorry. I realized that you guys in the back can't see those subtitles, and but but you understood the story. I mean, this that when the when the Russian government came into Romania, they they basically uh, conned the pastors into joining the Communist Party, and Richard Wormbrand was willing to stand up and just say, "No way." No way. And he went to prison for 14 years and went on to start um, Voice of the Martyrs. Have you heard of Voice of the Martyrs, the magazine and the radio program? And has stood up for, um, for people who are being persecuted all around the world. Okay. Is it ever okay to resist authority? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Resist authority to every, everything. Every authority that stands against Jesus. And here's where I want you to challenge you guys at the cornerstone. I don't want you guys to sit around and wait until the laws are made to that you that we have to stand up against. But I want you guys to think. I mean, I want you guys to think about what, what it would it take for you guys to be the lawmakers. How many of you guys are going to, going to planning on going to law school? Anybody? Okay, I mean, we sh we some of you guys ought to think about that. How many of you guys plan to be congressmen? Okay, I mean, guys, take 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 the land. How many of you guys plan to be a university president? Do it, man, do it. I mean, here, here's what I'm saying, guys. You there, there is a a conspiracy to destroy the gospel. And that conspiracy comes from hell. And the devil is very cunning and very patient. Why don't you guys set the laws? Why don't you go to law school? I'm serious. I mean, my son-in-law, Joe, he's planning to come back here from Japan. And Kiana's finishing up her degree in politics, international politics at UTA, her, her master's degree. And then Joe's going to go to law school after that because we got to change the world, guys. And as I think back on my life, I'm thinking, you know, I wish I, I wish I had a law degree to have a little bit more of a, 
lever to with to move the boulder of injustice and deceit that I have right now. And I'm just asking you guys to consider that. What is God calling you to do to change the way the world is? Some of you guys ought to go to law school. Some of you ought to become politicians. Some of you, of course, if you say you want to be the president of the United States, people laugh at you. But I don't think it's a laughing thing. Somebody got to do it. How about you? Okay, the other question that I was asked regarding last week was, what happens if it's not clear who's in authority and the two sides can't come to a compromise, okay? You guys with me? You understand what the, question, the second question we're answering? And we're going to answer that by looking at a few verses in Acts chapter 15. Okay, so Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, okay, you guys remember who Barnabas is? Barnabas was Paul's mentor, his co-worker, his traveling partner. He's the guy, Barnabas is the guy that reached out to Paul when nobody trusted Paul because Paul had been killing Christians. And then when Paul's life changed, Barnabas was the guy who reached out to him and brought him into the community. And then 14 years later, when the church in Antioch was developing and they're looking for somebody to help lead this, Barnabas goes all the way up to Tarsus where Paul is from. And he finds Paul and he says, Paul, I got a job for you. Let's go. That's who Barnabas, that, I just got, want to ask you guys to get that in your mind of who Barnabas is in relationship to Paul. Then they go on the, the missionary journey. They're at the council in Jerusalem. Now they're back in Antioch. And in the second part of verse 36, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord. And let's see how they're doing. So in other words, like, man, let's, it's like us saying, let's go back to Japan. And let's go find out how everybody's doing We're in the places where we've done ministry. That sounds great, but it's not going to happen because look what happens in verse 37. Barnabas said, okay, but let's take John Mark. But Paul didn't think this was wise to take him because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. You guys remember that? You guys can listen back at the podcast, the reasons why maybe John Mark bailed on them. But you guys remember that? They make a couple stops. On this first mission, this first church-funded missionary journey. And they get a couple stops in. And before it even gets hard, John Mark says, see ya. I'm out of here. And he goes home. And so in, in Paul's mind, John Mark is out. Because in his mind, John Mark can't be trusted with ministry. He bailed last time. There's no way we're giving him another chance. But Barnabas, you guys remember what Barnabas means, right? Son of encouragement. He's a guy who's he's in the business of giving people second chances. So he's like, let's take him. Plus, he's my cousin. Remember? John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. So he says, let's take him. He's ready to give John Mark a second chance because it's the right thing to do. Okay, here's, here's what we're learning from this. How do, they, how do we solve this problem? Okay, if you're in Japan, you know how you solve it? That's right. Logan's got it. How do you do it? Rock, paper, scissors. That's right. And how do you say it in Japanese? Okay, if you guys, and guys, it works great. It works great. I mean, you know, rather than, rather than punching, throwing punches, just throw a junkin', you know? <laughs> it works. <laughs> Why not? I mean, well, it's an easy way to, to make decisions. This is what we do in our home all the time. My wife and I disagree. It's like, okay, junkin'. <laughs> okay, it's part of what we learn in premarital counseling. 
Okay, you guys ready? Okay. Okay, so you can use the rock, paper, scissors, but I want, to see, I want you guys to see what they did and see if we can learn anything from what they did. Okay, they had such a sharp disagreement. I mean, this is sad at first glance. Look at verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement over John Mark that they parted company. Barnabas took John Mark and sailed for Cyprus, which is his home. And Paul chose Silas and left, commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what happens when Paul and Barnabas disagree? They should rock, paper, scissors, or maybe they shouldn't. But what they do is they split up. And I'm thinking, what? I mean, these are the guys that just, they, 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 they've, they've stood for the unity of Jesus. They're on a campaign to bring the world together under unity in Jesus. They just came back from Jerusalem preventing a the first church split and brought unity there. And now these guys are like, okay, you want that? I want this. We'll see you later. And I'm thinking, the devil is trying to divide the two of them. But there's a couple of thoughts here. I really, I really pondered this today. And I think I learned something new. I, I think I've got a different perspective now than I had this morning when I woke up. Now, my thought has been, Paul is, seems so hard to get along with. But here's what I want you guys to think about. Paul is a wise man. He's a wise man. And he understands that there is a mission out there ahead of him that almost nobody is going to be able to handle. And he's looking for a traveling partner who's going to deal with rejection and prison and possible death. And he knows who John Mark is. He's seen John Mark in action. And I think from in his wisdom, he says, I don't think John Mark's got what it takes. I don't think John Mark is the guy who's going to be able to do what we're headed out to do. I want you guys to, to think about what happens on this trip. If you, we're going to study this in weeks to come. But in chapter 16, there is, chapter 16, verse 19, let me just read a few words. They get in trouble, and Paul and Silas get seized and dragged into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates, and an uproar ends up happening. The people freak out. Okay? That's, that's in Philippi. Then over in, when they get over to Thessalonica, verse, chapter 17, verse 5, the Jews are jealous. They rounded up uh, some bad characters. They form a mob, and they start a riot in the city. And then over in chapter 18, Verse 12, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him into court. I mean, think about John Mark. John Mark wouldn't have made it. Think about this, guys. It's not that Paul's just being mean. Paul knows John Mark isn't going to be able to cut it. So John Mark, Paul's like, we got something so much more important to do, we can't bring this guy along. So is, is, is Paul right? After studying this today, after realizing what's coming in the chapters ahead, I think Paul's right. What about Barnabas? Does that mean Barnabas is wrong? No way. 
He had a different choice. Exactly. Yeah. Is that what you're going to say, Tiff? Could you give an example of when this scenario would affect some, some of us now? Sure. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Um, okay, yeah, as far as um, disagreement and not knowing who's in authority. Who's in authority. Okay, this, this is, if you guys don't know who's in authority, you can ask that person, who's in charge here? I mean, there's times when I brought people to Japan or people here at the Cornerstone where they're not happy about something and they're like trying to call the shots. And I just, I just like, hey, come, come here, let me put my arm around you. Let's make sure we understand who's in charge here. Okay? Is that okay to ask? I mean, you're a house leader. You're a house leader. You have authority. You've been given authority. If any of the girls in your house or in your small group or anybody else who you have authority over don't understand that, it's a good thing to just put your arm around them and just say, do you know, do you know that I'm the one in charge? You guys ask. It's okay to ask, okay? Okay. I don't know if she's talking about your house, so I hope I'm not going to get her in trouble when she, she goes home. Okay. Okay, Barnabas. Let me, let me bring it back to Barnabas. And, and if we got time, you can ask some more questions. But Barnabas, I want you guys to think about Barnabas. Paul was right. Was Barnabas wrong? Guys, I don't think Barnabas is wrong. Barnabas understands the heart of Jesus. He understands that John Mark has a call in his life, just like he understood that Paul had a call in his life. Barnabas understands that whatever is going to happen out there, the person who's right in front of him is the person that matters the most. And he's willing to split ways and let Paul go with somebody else so that he can care for John Mark. Now, I understand both of these perspectives. I mean, I've been, I've been, I, I haven't been in the middle of a riot well, not quite in the middle of a riot. But I've been in, in ministry situations where I got bailed on. In fact, three times in a row. The first, the first guy I took to my tribal area in the Philippines was a guy named, well, I won't tell you his name. Because <laughs> who knows? He might be listening. But I took this guy who, I, you know, we were living in Japan at the time. And, and I was headed back to my tribe. And this guy who was teaching English there heard that I was going. And he wants to go with me. So I'm like, I don't know, man. But okay, let's go. So we, at that time, there was still no roads. So we flew, you know, in this little plane over the mountains and landed where we always land. And took a little boat over to the village. We get to the village. And when I get there, one of my friends, whose name is Leaning, he'd, had, he'd been riding on the back of a motorbike and got his toes stuck in the spoke and his toe had come off. And so he, so he had tetanus. So he's about to die. So we take him, get him on a boat. And we, and we just got there. And we say, oh, who wants to go to the Philippines with me? Okay. And um, so we take, we take Lenin and we I'm like, we got to get him to the hospital. We got to get him to the hospital. So we take him to the hospital. There's little, you know, back then there's just this little podunk hospital in town. But I'm like, okay, whatever it takes, see if you can save this guy's life. But it's getting dark by now. And we're like, we got to get back to the village because we don't even got it our we don't got things set up. Let's, so we, we, get, we go back to the village, and um, all night long I'm thinking about leaning, leaning and praying for him and praying and praying. So we get up in the morning, eat some rice, and, we're, and we couldn't get a boat, so we're walking. So we got an hour and a half walk to the hospital, and um, we get to the hospital. And just as we get to the hospital, we see Lenin's mom and brother carrying his dead body. And, of course, whose fault is it? It's my fault because I put him in the hospital, and that's where people go to die, right? So... So this guy, um, this, this guy who's with me, he's, um, who's from, he's from Canada, and um, he, it's nobody you guys know. Okay, his name's Peter. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Peter. It wasn't you. It wasn't the Peter back here. So, so he's he never seen a dead body in his life. 
So we grab the dead body and we throw him up on top of the tricycle. You guys know what the tricycles are like in the Philippines where you got the little sidecar and the little roof on the side. So we threw the body up there and I'm hanging on to the dead body of my friend. And, um, and we take him to the boat and we put him on a boat and we take him over there. Well, Peter, poor Peter. I mean, he had no idea what he was getting into with me. So he, he, we get back to the village and he didn't want any dinner that night. Not that we had much dinner anyway. But, but um, he stays in, in his mosquito net almost nonstop for the next day and a half. And finally, he's like, Steve, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I was like, get out and come with me. He's like, no, no, I mean, I got to get out of here. So he, he finds some way. There, there was a little bit of, there was some transportation at the time, and he was able to get out of the tribe. I'm like, he bailed on me. So the second time I took somebody, and I won't mention his name either, but we're, we're, there for, we're supposed to be there for eight days, and we're about three days into this. He's like, I, I think we got, he's starting to tell me all the reasons we got to go. I'm like, we just got here. We got four more days. Well, he finally convinced me that there was a, a medical reason that we needed to leave for, and so we're gone. So the third time I took somebody, um, I take somebody, and we're, we're, we're going to my village. I think I've told some of this before. We're going to the village, and just as we cross the river, one of my friends meet me, meets me and says that, um, that one of my other friend's baby just died, little three-year-old baby just died. So, of course, I'm just like, man, why is it always like this? So we, that night, of course, everybody comes from everywhere because there's going to be a wake and a funeral and all that. And so all night long, they're making this little coffin for this little three-year-old nephew of mine. And, and the guy that I'm with, who's a pastor at another church, actually, he's just like, I couldn't sleep last night, and I don't know what's going on, but I got to get out of here. And I'm like, I'm never taking anybody to the Philippines with me again. So he leaves. Um, he wanted me to go with him, but I didn't. I'm like, we just got here. So I said, I'm hiring somebody. They'll take you to Manila. He got on a plane. He went back to the United States. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be bailed on. So Paul is going. We're not taking this guy again. Barnabas is saying, this guy's more important than whatever else is out there because he's right here, and we're going to train him up because God has a call on his life. Did, I, did God have a call on John Mark's life? Yeah. What did John Mark end up doing? Wrote, wrote the book of Mark, exactly. Wrote the book of Mark. Okay. Okay. So Paul, Paul did the right thing. Barnabas did the right thing. And what that meant is that there are times, here's what I want you guys to catch. There are times when for the sake of the cause of Christ, we actually go separate ways. But be really careful in this because the devil is looking for ways to turn people against each other. Where they go their separate ways and they spend the rest of their life in bitterness and unforgiveness towards that person. What I want to suggest to you guys is there are times where we say the cause of Christ is so important. God's called me to do something that it's okay that we're going to let you go. We're going to, we've had, a, this has been good. I'll give you a hug. It's been great. Stop by the cornerstone for a latte when you're around. But we are letting you go to do the thing that God's calling you to do. And you don't have to do it right with me. There are times when it makes sense to let people run their own ministries. They don't have to be a part of my thing. Do you guys, do you guys understand? This is what Paul and Barnabas are doing here. And I want you guys to think about what's going on here on this campus. Think about the amazing unity that we have on this campus with the, all these campus ministries. I have the Wesley Center, the Lutheran Center, the Tri-C, the BSM, Focus, ISI, Cornerstone, and there's more. 
think about what we're doing. And you think about how we all do things differently. We all got different values. But the value that we share above all else is that Jesus is our ultimate authority. And whatever differences of how we do our programs aren't really all that important because we're one in Christ. Guys, whatever, whatever other people are doing, we don't have to, we don't have to make them do it our way. They don't have to be. I mean, think about if all of a sudden we took all the ministries on campus and said, okay, now we're going we're gonna to put them all in one building. No way. If I think about all your small groups. So how many, how many small group leaders we got here? Who's a small group leader? Okay. You guys do your small groups your style. And that's okay. And you don't have to do it my way. You don't have to do it the way that the other person is doing it. You do it the way that the Lord is leading because you are unique and there's no one else who can do the ministry that God's called you to do because God's called you to do that. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, do we have to agree on everything? No, we don't. Do we have to be like everybody else? No, we don't. Are there times that we say, okay, we're going to let Matt West go to Japan even though we don't really want to let him go and we're going to go separate ways? Yeah! But just not yet, man. Not yet, not yet. Okay, guys. We, here, here's where I want to close. I want to close by asking you guys in this whole area of authority and submission, whose authority are you under? Jesus. Jesus. Think about Think about it. Think about who you have sworn allegiance to. And some of you guys are here tonight thinking, well, I'm my own boss. This is my own life. I'll do what I want to do. And nobody's going to boss me around. And that's no, there's no freedom in that. Freedom comes through submission to the authority of Jesus. And some of you guys have experienced what it's like when you've tried to live your life under your own authority. It doesn't work. So, guys, let's just stand up and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just surrender ourselves to you. We recognize you as our true king, you, King Jesus, above all else. And I just asking for the wisdom and the strength of the people in this room to be able to know when to say yes to delegated authority over us and when to say, no, I serve a higher authority than that, and I'm sorry, I cannot do that. Would you give us wisdom for that? That you'd empower our friends here. You'd empower these people to follow you. And Lord, would you train us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you guys need prayer, is there prayer happening over in this room? Yes. Okay, so if you guys need prayer, a specific prayer, there's prayer in the prayer room. And there's lunch tomorrow. And College Connection on Sunday. And Japan training on Sunday afternoon. <laughs>